0: This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on.
1: Hi, listeners. Happy New Year. Because we're all still on holiday and celebrating, we've got a recap for you of one of our favorite episodes from last year. And what better way to kick off 2023 than talking about toilets? Enjoy. Enjoy. Well, guess
2: what? We all go to the bathroom, all seven billions of us, in different ways, but we all do.
3: You can now make this appliance where you just plug it in wherever you need a bathroom, and it treats your waste. It's a pretty unique way of doing that, is that we can actually burn feces underwater.
0: You know, we all need to talk about shit so that cities can come up with flexible, adaptable solutions to provide great sanitation.
1: This is World Changing Ideas, and I'm Amelia Hempel. This season, we're tracking down the dreamers, the experts, and the activists who all have one important thing in common, a desire to change the world for the better. So if you're sick of depressing news and stressful headlines, then you've come to the right place. Okay, let's get into it. So most societies have a complex relationship with human poop. It brings up all kinds of emotions. Disgust, fascination, shame, happiness, relief, pride. It's something we can all relate to. I mean, everyone poops. Maybe this is too much information, but the average person produces around 180 kilos of it every year and we have a never-ending supply of this stuff. So why are we not making better use of its potential?
3: A new eco-friendly toilet is being used to create energy and fertilize a nearby garden. In Kenya, human waste is being turned into a profitable fuel
2: business the potential of organic waste as a renewable energy source. A fair warning of sorts for those of you either preparing or eating dinner, given the subject matter.
1: Used in the right way, poop can be a life-saving, money-making, soil-fertilizing resource. Nighttime gold, as ancient Chinese societies once called it. But when it isn't used properly, or just discarded, as we all know, it can be a total disaster spreading disease, polluting water sources, and destroying people's standards of living. That's not news to anyone. I wanted to learn more about how we can transform our human waste from a gross problem into a useful solution. And where better to start than with some history at South Korea's world-famous Toilet Museum, or Mr. Toilet's House, as it's better known, in the city of Suwon. Oh, wow. Wow. As you arrive, you're greeted by this giant golden structure of a poo. The whole building is actually shaped like a giant toilet. It's about two stories high, and then it has a roof deck which looks like a toilet seat. It is kind of mad-looking, but strangely inviting. This museum is the only one and the biggest toilet structure museum in the world. This is the museum manager, Anne Lee, who showed me around the exhibitions.
4: Each country has their own culture related to toilet, right? So we just understand each other after visiting here. Many visitors just can feel how important the toilet is in our life. And also for kids, we gave a chance to be familiar with toilet culture. We will show the history of the toilet and also science
1: the house's original owner, Sim J Duck, was a former mayor of Suwon City and the founder of the World Toilet Association back in 2007. He was clearly extremely passionate about sanitation, having transformed his personal house into the world's biggest toilet sculpture and built over 160 luxury public toilets for the whole city. But his nickname started much earlier.
4: Believe it or not, he was born in outdoor toilet of his grandmother's house. So he was born in a toilet? Yes, outdoor toilet. As long as I know, there was a saying and superstition related to the toilet. His mother wanted to give birth to a baby in a humble place because when women give birth in a humble place in minutes, Her baby can live longer and healthier. they are just some problem and superstition in Korea.
1: Outside the museum is a huge garden, kind of like an adventure park, where kids can play around with sculptures of toilets, waste management farmers, chamber pots throughout the ages, and even poop-themed video games. Ann Lee says it's all about reducing stigma starting at a young age. Uh, Many children uh, really like to say and
4: tell about the poo and pee and fart like that. But as we grew up, we cannot and we must not talk about the toilet thing. So for kids, we wanted to educate the importance of toilet and also for using toilet sustainably when it comes to training for the human being the first training
1: is a toilet training right an entire museum and learning center for children to ask questions about poop it's a pretty novel idea considering how most people don't feel at all comfortable talking about that very basic need that we all have well there is a taboo But whenever there is a taboo, there is curiosity. They sort of go hand in hand. Meet journalist Lena Zeldovich. She's written a whole book about poop. It's called The Other Dark Matter. And in it, she digs into the history and science of how human waste is handled.
2: I grew up in a very different way than most people. I was born and raised in the former Soviet Union. And my grandfather, who was an engineer and also had an agricultural degree fertilized our family farm with the content of our septic system, where the waste from our house was collected uh, for a year. And so every fall he would open up that tank and put on his special kind of suit and big boots, and big gloves, and would take two big buckets and ladle that stuff onto our farm in a very specific way, some underneath the fruit trees, but the majority into the compost pits, kind of adding it to the dead leaves, dead plants, and kitchen scraps. And then he would close this compost pits and let them sit for three years. He had this rotating system. And then he would open the compost pit three years later in the spring, just when it was the time to fertilize the garden again in the spring. And all of that stuff would be completely gone. And what, what was left is this really rich black dirt with a lot of worms in it because they just couldn't get enough of of the great food in it. So he used to say that you have to feed the earth the way you feed people so that it would keep growing food. And I thought it was such a beautiful statement and it made so much sense to me. There had to be a circle we take from the earth, we give back to the earth. So I never really developed any aversion to poop.
1: Of course, when the majority of the global population live in cities and built-up areas, this circular approach becomes much more challenging. For most of the modern world, human shit is viewed as a problematic pollutant, but it hasn't always been that way.
2: And cultures that needed it to keep growing food, they preserved it, they took care of it, Uh, they compared it to gold, and they measured its value in gold. In China, in 1734, the emperor actually issued a decree in which he told all of his farmers to treasure night soil as if it were gold. By night soil, it was the excrement that was removed in the morning. Because it was so valuable and it did two things at once. It cleaned the cities and it gave farmers fertilizer to grow food
1: with. Fertilizing the soil with human waste requires some treatment processes. And obviously it doesn't smell great. But as well as helping to rebuild soil, it's also a way to fight climate change. Number one, because you reduce the use of synthetic nitrogen fertilizer, which requires very high temperatures to produce and the emissions lead to acid rain. And two, when you fertilize with
2: composted waste, which the industry calls biosolids, kind of a euphemism you have a lot less agricultural runoff.
1: And that means fewer harmful materials are being leached into our waterways. So, as Lena Zeldovich explains, there are plenty of other great uses for human waste. Dry it to make briquettes that can be burned as fuel, use the methane emitted to produce biogas, a very helpful fuel, or use it as feed for various insects, which can then be fed to livestock. Ew. If you're interested in more futuristic options, human waste is now being used medically in something called faecal transplants to help immunocompromised people regenerate their gut bacteria. And this is kind of wild. In the US, they're extracting precious metals from human sewage. Apparently there's gold, silver, platinum, copper and titanium to be found in our sewers. Research from Arizona State University suggests that the waste of one million Americans could generate — wait for it — $13 million worth of metals. So lots of interesting solutions that can be generated using poop. But I think we're getting ahead of ourselves here. It's all very well talking about human waste as a resource, But the key to managing that resource depends on how you collect, contain, and treat that waste. A massive global challenge. 4.2 billion people, that's nearly half the global population, don't have a decent toilet. Or use sanitation services that release untreated human waste into the environment, contaminating water sources.
0: This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon. The network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com.
1: The sewage systems we've built in the Western world rely heavily on water. But as Zeldovich points out, There
2: are places on this planet where this water-based system simply can't be built. They're either not enough water or there's too much because when you have too much water that falls on you in a very short amount of time, all the systems overflow anyway.
1: Most modern-day sanitation systems are not up to the task of taking on climate change. And they require a lot of water. Older, inefficient toilet models can use as much as six gallons per flush. Talk about waste in more ways than one. So with the UN declaring that we're headed towards a global water crisis by 2030, we need a new idea.
3: So the better solution is just to keep feces out of water.
1: Dr. Shannon Yi is an associate professor at Georgia Institute of Technology. He's also taking on Thomas Crapper for a place in the Toilets Hall of Fame.
3: There's a joke going around that if we're successful, people may say you need to go take a Yee, like my last name. For when you need to go take a pee or use the toilet.
1: Yi is leading a group of international researchers and engineers funded by the Gates Foundation's Reinvent the Toilet Challenge, But his background is actually in thermal energy technologies, which is not your usual trajectory. But we're getting futuristic here. His world-changing idea is that modern cities could move away from a centralized sewer system model.
3: Stated very simply, we're taking an infrastructure and we're turning it into an appliance.
1: Their new super toilet uses a combination of heat, electricity and pressure, kind of like an espresso maker.
3: So the big innovation here is the, the requirements are such that uh, you have to be able to treat waste without input water. So no water coming into the toilet and no output sewage. So if you can do that, you can now make this appliance where you just plug it in wherever you need a bathroom and it treats your waste. So you can imagine how this could change, how you could even configure your house. You wouldn't need to have a dedicated plumbing area or where the bathroom is located. You could put a bathroom anywhere.
1: The toilet then runs on electricity and has a treatment compartment that processes the waste right there in your bathroom.
3: It has a front end unit, which looks just like a regular toilet. So that would look exactly the same in your bathroom. And then we have a back end processing unit, which a lot of the time you can imagine that being on the other side of the wall, uh, just to save space in the bathroom. And that unit kind of just looks like a giant box. It's like a, a washing machine. So that's just where all the magic happens. We actually elevate the feces in pressure and temperature. So we heat them up and we pressurize them and we enter into this phase of matter known as a supercritical fluid where the feces spontaneously combust underwater. It's a pretty unique way of doing that is that we can actually burn feces underwater.
1: And after that's happened, you are left with your final waste product, feces cakes. Uh, what?
3: They make this really small cake. It's odor-free, it doesn't look gross. You can just dispose of that in your municipal trash. You could toss it out in your garden. You could just compost it if you want.
1: The toilet sounds kind of complicated to use, but apparently it isn't.
3: So the person doesn't have to do anything different. You go to the bathroom like normal, but we actually separate the solids from the liquids. We also do this with a lot less water. We've learned that people always want to flush, so people want to use a little bit of water, but we can drastically reduce the amount of water that people use.
1: What I thought was quite cool here is that the liquids go through a multi-step filtration process, and then the purified water that's left over is used to assist the toilet flush. Genius! (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't resist that. But of course, there are still some challenges with this kind of futuristic technology. What happens if there's a power outage, for example? Is that the end of my toilet?
3: We do include a battery backup so the toilet can keep flushing. But we do require a certain amount of line power every day. So we put that into the design. One of the biggest challenges, honestly, is how different behavior and feces are all around the world, right? People use the toilet in different scenarios, in different settings, have different diets. So that's been challenging to make a technology that can really cover that entire spectrum of users.
1: Because it's still a prototype, the toilet currently costs around $5,000. But Yi and his team are hoping to get the price of the next model down to around $1,000, closer to their end target of $450. This still sounds kind of expensive to me, but Professor Yi believes that the cost savings will be more macro.
3: So what people forget is the large cost of the embedded sewer infrastructure, right? We're talking billions of dollars, right, for these sewage treatment plants. And we're talking billions of dollars for the pipes that connect your house to the sewage treatment plant. In the U.S., for example, to go from a house to a sewage treatment plant is about three to five miles and it costs about $250 per foot. That's a large infrastructure cost that um, is typically ultimately borne by the taxpayers. Now we have a way of allowing people to be disconnected from that centralized grid system and we can do it at a much lower cost.
1: They're currently field testing the toilets in South Africa, India, China and the U.S. If you want to see what the toilet and the feces cake looks like, I know you do. Follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Fast Company and you can see pictures, maybe videos, if you're really lucky. Okay, moving on. So the big takeaway at this stage seems to be that combining human waste with water can lead to serious problems. Lindsay Stradley saw that firsthand when she was working as a teacher in New Orleans in 2005. When Hurricane Katrina hit the
0: city, there was catastrophic flooding. Katrina really knocked out you know, all of the, the services. We all had to evacuate the city. And then it took months, really, for, for regular services to come back online. I taught high school math. And I, coming out of Katrina, helped to reopen open the first uh, high school to reopen following the storm. I went into schools. Following the storm, I went into the school buildings after Hurricane Katrina to try to find a building that where our school could restart, uh, and you know talk to the state to to secure that building. And going into the buildings, I would find shit you know, just in the classrooms and the halls because the bath, you know, the toilets had stopped working. All the whole buildings had stopped functioning. But the schools had, uh, many of the schools were places where people who got stuck in the city stayed for days or even weeks um, when the floodwaters came because the city, the schools were often two or three stories. um, And so people could stay there safely. Um, But it was like all of civilization. It kind of devolved without having those basic services.
1: The storm inspired her to think more about sustainable services in cities.
0: Sustainable in the face of emergencies, you know, uh, floods and earthquakes and hurricanes, but also sustainable in the the financial and operational implementation to serve everyone equitably.
1: And in 2009,
0: she met her two co-founders at business school. And the three of us drew on our different experiences working and living in cities around the world to design ways for urban residents to really systematically access sanitation and and safely manage the waste generated.
1: The result was a company called Sanergy, which launched in Kenya's capital city of Nairobi in 2011. The container-based sanitation system now serves over
0: 150,000 residents every day. We design and manufacture high-quality low-cost, non-sewered toilets. We often design or sort of co-create these with our customers, so take a real human-centered design approach. We then install these facilities, they're small, so into the tight spaces in urban informal settlements, really dense areas. And then on a regular basis, so every one to three days, we collect the waste from each of those facilities, transport it, to the periphery of the informal settlements, where then you can access by truck and we can safely transport that waste for treatment and ideally reuse. Sanergy's Fresh Life toilet also has separate compartments for liquids and solids,
1: reducing any smell and making the toilet cartridge containers lighter to transport. Good news for the Sanergy customers, but what about the people collecting and treating the waste?
0: Do they face stigma
1: or problems from the community?
0: In general, we found in the communities where we work that there's not a stigma directly around waste or around shit. People don't like having waste in their communities visibly, the smell, but the actual direct service provision of sanitation is something that people really appreciate And I think especially when we've taken such a really clean, professional approach to it. And one of my favorite stories on this is in a relatively early days, our waste collection team were often thought to be not removing shit, but actually delivering milk. The kind of hand carts that they used had such clean containers. Then the Fresh Life name people didn't yet recognize, and they thought Fresh Life was a new milk delivery service. If you uh, approach uh, sanitation with respect and high-quality professional services, then people appreciate those. And there's never been any kind of negative association for our staff who live and work in these same communities or for our franchisees who operate the toilet facilities.
1: When it reaches the treatment facility, the human waste then gets combined with other sorts of organic matter.
0: So think, you know, municipal solid waste, post-consumer food waste from hotels, restaurants, ag waste, combine all of that. And then they transform it into three products that can be sold for
1: profit. Soil fertilizer, protein-based feed for fish and farm animals, and fuel bricks. Stradley says that having a safe, clean toilet at home has been especially transformative for women and girls living in Nairobi's
0: informal settlements. So if you don't have a toilet close to home, it can mean that you have to walk maybe you know, half a mile at night just to go to the bathroom, which means that you are risking rape or other violence just to, to go to the bathroom. Typically, in the informal settlements in Nairobi, we'll have 10 families share kind of one compound, and they would then have you know, one or more facilities based on how much space is available that they would share. And so it's actually the landlord, that the owner, the caretaker of that plot that is our direct customer.
1: And the customer then pays about $8 a month, which covers the toilet's installation and regular waste collection. How affordable is that for people?
0: We've set that price to be not a luxury, but really uh, accessible to everyone. And then provide effectively a subsidized price by bringing in support from additional public institutions, philanthropic donors, and increasingly in partnership with cities, with the utilities who have the the mandate, the responsibility for providing these services.
1: Stradley says that for fast-growing cities like Nairobi, the idea of container-based
0: sanitation has been easy for people to get on board with. I think it means that we can serve more people at a more affordable cost. It also means that we can do it faster. You know, we don't have to wait years to install kind of massive pipes, you know, systems underneath you know, really crowded cities. So, you know, cost, time, and climate are, are key reasons for shifting toward more non-sewered approaches. Sanergy recently won an
1: EarthShop prize for its sanitation innovation, and is hoping to serve half a million people in the next five years. Of course, there's still a lot more to do on a
0: global scale. We all suffer for having shit in our communities, in our waterways, and the health consequences for our neighbours. The social, economic, and environmental consequences of poor sanitation affect everyone, um, those with and without great sanitation. You know, we all need to talk about shit so that... Cities can come up with flexible, adaptable solutions to provide great sanitation.
1: And according to journalist Lena Zeldovich, who we heard from earlier, there seems to be an important shift in mindset going on too. I also see
2: that the next generation of kids who are now teenagers actually think that poop is awesome and poop is cool. And the poop emoji is a revelation They send each other poop emojis when they text. And I've seen (laughs) recently a pair of poop slippers and even candy now come in the form of people like poop emojis. Like who would ever thought that people would be buying it? But people are. It's cool now. I think there's a lot of good signs and it's kind of like a hot new topic.
1: That's all for our show today. I'm Amelia Hempel. We want to hear about the world-changing ideas going on where you are. It's World Toilet Day coming up in November, so we're going to be looking at more innovative ways to redesign toilets and clean up our waterways. So we'll see you next week. Have a beautiful day. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist that. If that is not worth a five-star review, I don't know what is. Please leave us comments and reviews on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. New episodes every Wednesday. Our show is produced by Avery Miles, mixing and sound design by Nicholas Torres. Joshua Christensen is our supervising producer. Editorial oversight from Deputy Editor Kate Davis and Senior VP of Entertainment Scott Meebus.